Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, Singapore's labour market continues to improve in the second quarter of this year with total employment hitting 99.5% of pre-pandemic levels. That's really good, isn't it? The number of employed Singaporeans and PRs have also grown steadily for the first half of the year. But... Here is the but, because there always is one. The Manpower Ministry is warning that the demand for labour may ease in the months ahead. To break this down for us, Adrian Chu joins us. He is CEO and founder of Career Agility International. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Bharati. How's everyone doing today? Well, we all have jobs, so we're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you, Adrian? (laughs) Oh, definitely. Okay, here's the thing. What can we expect, though, in terms of rough seas ahead for the labour market? This is something that the MOM has warned about. What's your reading of the situation? Well, the way I see it, the numbers all around look pretty positive, and I think it's an indication that the economy is on demand. But there are certain things ahead, for instance, like the Russian war, runaway inflation, China's COVID situation that can't quite be predicted right now. So I think government is just trying their best to be cautiously optimistic and not to get too heady over such positive data. And I think it's steeped in reality. So I think it's uh, overall, no, it's good for us that the numbers are great. But we just got to be mindful that there are still things ahead that we need to watch out for. Mm. Here's the thing, though. The numbers might be great, but we're also seeing a lot of high-profile reports of layoffs in the tech sector, for instance. So give us your take on which sectors are doing well, which ones aren't. How should we read massive layoffs in specific sectors such as tech? Well, I think the tech firms that have been doing the bulk of the layoffs, I think they're the ones who are still trying to explore the optimal business model. So you have tech companies uh, who have decided to exit a particular business or a particular market, and therefore you have the layoffs, the people who are associated with that particular business unit. So it's selective. It's not across the board. So the way I see it, it's a strategic pruning, I would say, of the workforce. Mm. Okay, so what exactly should people in the tech sector be doing right now in light of this strategic pruning? But if you see, if you do see that uh, the area you're in is falling out of favor, or maybe it's something that will take too long to gestate. For instance, like NFTs right now, they sound really sexy, but the reality is, uh, is that going to be commercial outcome or commercial usage of it in the next 12 months? And the answer is no. And if you're already in it, then you might want to consider something a bit more traditional. So you have a career strategy uh, with regards to where you fit in in the whole big picture of things. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You need to have a career strategy. What does this strategy ideally look like in a world filled with uncertainty, Adrian? <laughs> well, I think it depends on uh, your what, what you want out of your job. Uh, it looks at the realities of the market, whether or not the role which you aspire to be in is still going to be there, and it's going to be future demand, and whether you're skilled up for it. Ultimately, it's all about a matter of being able to read the market where the demand for skills are, and to see whether, A, you have those skills, and if you don't have those skills, how do you achieve them? And, you know, there are a lot of really good programs out there, uh, for instance, the SkillsFuture, that, that really allows you to do lots of programs. But here's the thing, Adrian. I do hear from a lot of individuals who take the advice that you just meted out, and they're doing what is required in terms of upskilling, reskilling, looking for adjacencies in terms of their interests and competencies as well, and then taking the next step. But companies may not be as supportive of their employees when it comes to upskilling and reskilling, not in all sectors anyway. What have you heard in terms of how involved companies are getting in all of this? Or are they just leaving it to individuals to do it themselves? 
Actually, you got you brought up a good point, you know, Bharati. Uh, These uh, companies themselves are—they uh, are encouraging their people to upgrade the skills, and but only in so far as the upgrading of skills is relevant to their particular area. For instance, if you're an accountant or if you're in finance and, and you want to upgrade your skills in something that's totally irrelevant, like Python programming, or then then it may not be so relevant. The companies may not be so supportive. So what we always say to our clients is if you want to upgrade your skills, make sure there's a certain relevance to it and make sure that there's an overlap and you can use these new skills to augment your current ones, not supplant them. Mm. But sometimes, you know, it's a question of adjacencies and your boss may not be able to see it because, you know, they designed a certain way or they have tunnel vision. So perhaps give me an idea of how you advise the individual and perhaps how companies and bosses should be looking at it as well. So it may not be directly related, but there is an adjacency of value to the skill you want to learn. Exactly. And that will, that will be exactly how I put it. So great advice. <laughs> give, give me an example, though. Give me an example. You know, for instance, if you know, once again, if you're in a supply chain and uh, instead of learning Ruby on Rails or all those type of programming languages, you, know, uh, you might want to learn the, the, the data analytics, for instance. Uh, and data analytics can be applied to uh, maybe years of your supply chain data to optimize your work. And, you know, the, the bosses would really appreciate the kind of uh, output that you can get uh, by using the new technology in your current job. So you're absolutely right when we talk about uh, adjacencies and relevance. Rather than uh, if you're in supply chain and you suddenly take up a UI, UX, uh, interface design or something like that, that's totally unrelated. So the value that will be minimal unless you're planning a 180-degree pivot. Mm. To what extent have you seen more people actually planning a pivot, a 180-degree pivot? Actually, we are seeing quite a lot, you know, especially mm. in the mid-career space. A lot of people are thinking about what's next, what do I do? And What, what do you think has brought that. all of this about? I mean, a lot of experts say, oh, it was the whole pandemic, you know, it made people look at their careers differently. In your view, what else could it be? And are there more specific reasons for why people are willing to make a career transition at this point? A lot of people we speak to who are at what we call a career crossroads, they have been in the job for maybe 20 years and they're getting a bit bored with the role. Maybe perhaps even though they're seeing that there's no, no runway ahead for the role they're in. For instance, uh, if, if the space they're in uh, is fast on a decline. So uh, they're trying to figure out new ways to stay relevant. And I think uh, that's really good for them if that's, a, that's the reason. Uh, but we also see individuals who are just bored and want to try, try something else just for the fun of it. These career crossroaders, well, our advice is uh, you really have to have your strategy down pat in order to make a good transition. Mm. So let's talk about that strategy because let's also bear in mind that we are seeing uncertain economic times, right? Things might look good now, yeah. but they won't in a few months. They may not, at least, yeah. in a few months. So what should a career transitioner strategy really encompass? Mm. I would say, you know, do your homework, find out exactly what you want uh, because you don't. You only have an idea of of what you hope you you'll be getting into. But when you do get into it, and you go, oh, shucks, this wasn't what I was told it was. If you're doing a career pivot, uh, what we always tell our clients is uh, dream jobs and their and their fantasy jobs. Sometimes you mistake the fantasy job for a dream job, and you jump in and you realize, oh no, this isn't what I really wanted. So uh, you have to be real. Uh, and only only way to do it is to go in and find get more data points from people already or who have successfully made the transition, then uh, with more information, more data, you can make a much better decision. What sort of data should you be seeking? 
for instance, uh, a lot of people have been jumping lately into into data analytics, but they don't really know what data analytics or AI even. AI has so many components to it. Uh, I was just an AI specialist now, and he was telling me that there were like eight to nine different uh, components. So it, it, AI is a big motherhood statement. You need to know what you want to get into and whether it's relevant for you and whether you want to, whether it's exciting for you, rather than just jumping in for the next AI course and realizing that, oh no, this isn't really what I wanted to do. Now, I can't let you go without talking about this, Adrian. In recent weeks and months, of course, we have seen the phenomenon of quiet quitting making its voice heard very loudly indeed. Quite a paradox, if you ask me. But we know that this has been going on for some time. It's not really a new phenomenon. And it actually depends on how you define it. So people these days are saying quiet quitting does not mean slacking off. It just means I do what I'm paid for and I don't go the extra mile. To what extent are you seeing more of this? What do you think of it? Well, I think you're absolutely correct in saying that there is, uh, it's been around for a while. Uh, the thing that concerns me is this behavior is now being lauded and being applauded. And first, well, yeah, I know that's cool to quiet quit, to do your barest minimum. But, uh, you know, for, for myself, I always believe it's not, a, it's not a long-lasting strategy. Temporary thing that you pull uh, until you figure things out, uh, if, if whether you want to stay in a job or whether you want to move to a new role. But as a long-term strategy, it's not a good permanent work ethic because it'll never get you promoted. And ultimately, the bosses are going to find out and uh, you're going to lose it. <laughs> no, but that's it's the thing. You know, you said, yeah, it will never get you promoted. But why should bosses only promote those who break their backs over their jobs? These guys are doing what they're paid to do. They're meeting their KPIs. They're just not going above and beyond. And they value their mental health and their work-life balance. So maybe bosses should examine themselves. Are you not a boss who motivates your people to go the extra mile, for instance? That's one. Or number two, are you just expecting too much? Your employees are human beings too, and they need that work-life balance. So maybe that paradigm needs to change. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, it's been said that the world is, uh, the world is complex. It's a complex place. You know, it's for, for some, especially if, if your mental health is at risk, then I would say quite quitting uh, could be a solution until you find your feet again, you know, find your foot again. But uh, if I, I, I believe everyone should just do their best. Uh, doesn't mean that you're going to break your back or kill yourself for the, bo- for the <laughs> job or for the boss. Mm. But, uh, you know, you still put your best foot forward, do your best, and, and your career will fly. But if you were to just do the barest minimum, someone else is going to overtake you very quickly. Where someone else who doesn't believe quite, and then uh, guess who will be left behind. So that's where the challenge yeah. lies. Yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, that is the reality. But maybe, yes, bosses too could recognize that someone who is quietly quit on you as long as they're meeting their KPIs should not be completely sidelined, right? Oh, That's true. Yeah, it's, it's a compromise, right? Each side needs to compromise. Now, I just want to ask you also about some new developments in the manpower space. The new Overseas Networks and Expertise Pass, one pass, to attract mm-hmm. top talent to Singapore. The government has explained why this is good for Singapore to attract global talent and to effect skills transfer. Others are saying, though, hey, we have a world-class education system, right, in Singapore. Don't we have enough people, enough Singaporeans who can take on these top roles? Why do we need foreigners? With your experience in the manpower sector, what's your take on this? Well, I'm sure we have a lot of uh, global-level talents 
uh, at the 30000 or more per month level. But uh, the, the challenge is a lot of them are not in Singapore even because they are doing very well in uh, Seattle, Washington, and all the other parts of the world. Mm. You're talking about Singaporeans who are Singaporeans, overseas. Yeah, Singaporeans. Right. So, so to answer the question, does Singapore have such level of talent? I say, yes, we do, lots of them. But many of them are out of Singapore and doing exceptionally well. Uh, so in order for to fill up the gap, for these particular spaces, you know, the government has set forward this plan, which I really agree with. I think it's a great idea because talents at this level are not competing for local, with locals for jobs. So locals cannot say that these, these people will steal local jobs per se. In fact, if for anything else, they provide more competition for the current foreign talents in Singapore at that level. It's very good. But, uh, but, having said but that, why not then put effort into getting those Singaporeans back here? I think they are. Uh, they will come back when the time is right uh, on their own career. Uh, when career brings them back home to Singapore, uh, so I think I think they will come back. Uh, but one thing that I'm I'm largely tickled with is that you know don't, I don't really think you need to put too many incentives to get top talents to Singapore. Just the tax rate differential in Singapore alone is more than enough to bring the Europeans and Americans here. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going the extra mile, you see, not just fulfilling the KPIs, but certainly I. I want to follow up just a little bit on getting those Singaporeans, top-level Singaporeans, back to Singapore. What do you think will bring them back? Because clearly, some effort is required in that department. From our experience, they do come back. Uh, they do come back when when their personal life uh, calls for it. When they have uh, elderly parents they need taking taking care of, uh, when they want to settle their kids down in local schools. So I think they will come back when they come back. Uh, mm. Singapore's always the key is to get Singapore to be as attractive to Singaporeans as it is to foreigners, right? Yeah, and I think it already kind of is. Mm. Uh, but, you know, a little nudge doesn't hurt, right? Mm. Yeah, and of course, international experience is very positive. It can really help companies in Singapore as well. So when they do return, they will be of great value to Singapore companies, wouldn't they? Yeah, in fact, uh, I do know a case where a Singaporean who's worked overseas for many, many years, and uh, he's come back to Singapore with a multinational company. And uh, ironically, they get him an expatriate package back in Singapore. So he's having full housing and everything, mm. just, just which is which is ironic, but you know this shows that companies do treasure Singapore talents. Uh, even if you bring them back to Singapore, it, it's it's always uh, we are always a very welcome bunch of uh, workers. Thanks very much for that, Adrian. Adrian Chu, CEO and founder of Career Agility International. Thanks for joining us on Prime Time. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.